Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Today's going to be a painful day. I'm just going to set you up. This is not a come to church and feel good day. We had a good time worshiping together, a good time around the table and, and uh, taking communion together and remembering the price that was paid for our sins. But, but now when we get to James chapter 4, he's, he's going to take on a, a role that, that's going to be a painful role. And let me just set it up this way. Back when open heart surgery was a new procedure, my father was scheduled to have it. So I drove home to Virginia Beach and I, I spent a few days down there at Virginia Beach with, with mom and dad. And, and when dad went into the hospital, the night before his surgery, the doctor came in and sat with us and explained to us what's going to happen. I mean, in detail. They're going to make an incision right down the middle of his chest. And then they're going to open the skin and get to the sternum and then they're going to saw the sternum in two and then they're going to open all of that up to expose the heart. Once they expose the heart, they're going to put dad on a, on a, I think, I don't want to, I'll call it a heart lung machine. I don't know what to call it, but a bypass machine, which by the way, uh, we have a, a lady here at Christ Community Church, a young lady here at Christ Community, who if you're having that procedure done or know someone having that procedure done over here at SOMC, she's going to be running this machine. And so it's good to know somebody in that room, you know. Uh, always good to know. I try to make friends with all the doctors. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, they, they were going to hook Dad up to the machine, and then they were going to stop his heart so that they could do the work while this machine replaced his heart, okay? And then they were going to do four bypasses on my dad, and they were going to do that by coming down here, taking out a, a good section of vein, and then using pieces of it to graft in and bypass all those uh, clots that my father had there in his arteries. So that's, that was the procedure in a nutshell. When they were done, they would restart the heart, which was kind of the big deal, at the time, they were going to restart the heart, and as long as there was no leakage and things like that, then they, were, they would close him up, they'd wire everything together, put staples in his skin, and all that would be done. And then it would just be a matter of recovery after that. Well, here's what I want to tell you. Today, what James is going to do in James 4 is he's, he's taken out the scalpel, and he's getting ready to cut your heart. He's getting ready to cut deep. He's going to peel back all the mess, and he's going to expose our hearts. And today is not the day for you or for me to sit here and go, okay, now, when Rick is teaching this, I've got somebody in mind that he's talking about. Okay? This is, this, I'm just going to tell you, this is hard stuff. This is going to be God exposing your heart. Not me exposing your heart. He's already exposed mine. But this is God exposing your heart. The good news is this. It's always good news when you go to the doctor and he tells you that there's something wrong, but there's a solution. There's a remedy. And the good news here in James 4 is that not only is he going to point to our disease, he's going to point to the remedy as well. And so that's, that's where we're going today. So if you'll take your outlines out... 
in, in your bulletins. I'd like for you to follow along with me. I have a number of things that you, you have to fill in there. Um, and and I'll, I'll simply open up with what I have at, at the beginning of your outline. Life boils down to this basic question. Who's going to run your life? Who is going to call the shots in your life? It's either going to be you or it's going to be God. Sometimes we think, well, actually it's going to be both of us. We think that because we want to share the throne of our heart. At least we want to say so. We want something to do with it. But God says, I'm not going to share that throne with anyone. It's all in or it's nothing. And so, so the question that we're going to be dealing with is who's calling the shots in your life? And he's going, to be, he's going to be pretty explicit here as he gets into this. So I want to start reading at verses 1 through 3 of James 4. And, and here's, what, here's what James writes. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, and, and so you kill. <clears throat> You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God, and when you ask God, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So in your outline, I want you just to, just to fill this out. A life controlled by self is filled with constant quarrels. The reason it's going to be filled with constant fighting and constant quarrels is because you are going to do all you can to get exactly what you want because life is about you in your estimation. And so when it is that way, there is going to be friction. Always friction when you are demanding your own way and wanting to call those shots. And look at what he says. You can fill these in. He says, a life controlled by self is filled with constant quarrels. This is what it looks like. He says, you desire. You desire, meaning you want. You want what? You want stuff. You want things. You want things your way so that you will be happy. And you desire so much and you can't get what you desire. So instead of getting it, you kill. And, if, and the second thing I have there, when you write you kill in, you need to write this way. You kill with your words. And this is where it's going to get tough. You kill with your words. This is, this is alluding back to Matthew 5. As a matter of fact, the book of James and the Sermon on the Mount and Matthew 5 through 7 really mesh together. And so you kill and you don't have to take a knife or take a gun and literally kill somebody to kill. Jesus said, you've heard it said of old, thou shalt not murder. But I'm telling you, if you call someone a fool, you're guilty of murder. Because what you've done is you've killed them with your tongue. All right? And so he, he points that out. You kill with your words. The third thing he says is you covet. Covet meaning, I want what you have. And I know I can't get it right now because either I can't afford it or or I've not been allowed to get it, but I want it so bad that I'm going to do anything to get it. And the fact that you have it and I don't, I'm going to badmouth you. Okay, so, so it's, it's this covetous attitude that he's saying you have. You covet. 
And because you covet, because you don't have what you're strongly desiring, you don't have what someone else has, and you see the pleasure that they're living in, and you want that, you desire it so much that you begin praying for it. You begin praying and asking God, and and he says here in verse 2 and 3 that you're praying with the wrong motives. You know what that's like. Maybe you know what that's like. Ever play the lottery and pray for a win? Why do you want to win Powerball so bad? You want to win Powerball so bad because, man, my life will be just perfect. Everything will be nice. No more bills. No more worries. I'll even tithe. And it won't hurt me. It's not a sacrifice to give 10% of $26 million. You know? I don't think it's much of one anyway. Yeah. Yeah, you, you covet so much that you start praying for the things you're coveting. God, that car, you know. I, I mean, yeah, thank you for the four wheels I've gotten. Thank you I can get around. But man, it'd be so much nicer to have that car. And so if you would just bless me with it. Make the means available for me to be able to drive that, for me to live in that house. Oh, thank you for the roof I have over my head, but God, really, it's not good enough for me. So please give me something else. Yeah, and we start praying and we start asking God for things because we're asking out of selfish motives. We're asking out of things we want for ourselves. See, this is hard stuff. And he says the reason you do that is because you desire worldly pleasures. You desire worldly pleasures. You want to know why you're fighting and quarreling? Because your mind is all on yourself and it's all about you and it's all about getting what you want. Forget everybody else. This is about me. God, come on, bless me. I want you to look at this quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon regarding this very thing. He says this, When a man prays to have things his own way, He asks God to be his servant. Worse than that, he wants God to join him in the service of his lusts. The man will gratify his lusts and expect God to come and help him do it. Such prayer is blasphemous, but a large quantity of it is offered, and it must be one of the most God-provoking things that heaven ever beholds. Yeah, when when we get to that place where we start demanding of God to give us this, give us that, we have just turned God into our servant. We have totally flipped the tables. We are now God, and he's waiting on us. And, and, and that's what James is calling out here. The diagnosis that James comes up with, I want you to write this down. The diagnosis is this. You are a spiritual adulterer. The diagnosis of this problem is adultery. Now, let me read the passage, and then I'll make comment about it. This is from verses 4 through 6. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace, and that's why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. 
Yeah, when James, when James is writing this and he's talking about how consumed we have become with ourselves, he calls us out. He, he tells us the disease. The disease of your heart is this. The disease of your heart is that you, you're spiritually an adulterer. You're two-timing God. God, I want to follow you. I want to live for you. I want to do whatever you desire me to do. But I'm so attached, God, to the world that I want the things of the world. My heart doesn't really long for the things of you. My heart longs for the things of the world. And this has been uh, a, uh, an accusation that God has had against his people ever since he called Israel to be his people. You see, Israel, Israel would, would commit and determine to follow after God. They would determine that God was their God and they would obey His commands, but then they would begin to follow after other gods who appealed to their flesh. And God called them out on it. He, called them that, he told them, you're a bunch of adulterers. You, you say you want to follow me, but that's the last thing you're doing. You're giving yourself to following after God. And so James is saying here, for, for those of us who, who, who are following Christ and yet all of our desires are bent on all the things of the world so that we can, can become friends with this world, he's saying you're an adulterer. That's the problem. That's your issue. He's just taken your heart. He's, he's exposed it. He's opened it up. He's pulled your heart out. And now he's showing it to you. And he's saying this is you. Then he goes further, still examining the heart. Look at James chapter 4. I'm going to skip and come back to verses 7 through 10 because that's the remedy. We're going to go to verse 11. I'll start at verse 11, read to the end of the chapter. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister... Or judges them, speaks against the law, and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to this city and spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. And so let me say this regarding what James just points out here. Simply this, your selfish pride needs to die. Your selfish pride needs to die. As a matter of fact, Jesus would say to his disciples and those around him, if anyone wants to come after me, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and then follow me. Now, if you're like me, you read that and you go, well, I'm not really big into the self-denial and I'm not really big into the self-sacrifice, taking up my cross. I am big into the following. So, Jesus, I want to follow you. I just don't want to do that other stuff. I want the comfortable following. Well, I'm going to tell you something. 
It is not comfortable following Jesus. It is, it is against everything that the world throws out there. And so it, it runs against yourself. And so in order for us to be followers, we need to be willing to deny ourselves and take up our cross and then follow him. That's how he put it out. So when someone wants to come to faith in Christ, I think it's a mistake to say to them, hey, you come to faith in Christ, oh, listen, and God will just rock your world. He'll turn it upside down and everything will be wonderful, beautiful. That's not necessarily the case. Oh, you'll be forgiven and you'll be given the promise of heaven, but you're also going to be given a life that's going to be lived in contrast to the world. And the world's not going to like you real well. And the world's going to rebel against you. And I think it's a mistake to offer people Christ without saying that. Listen, it costs something. It costs you your life. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and then come follow me. So your, your selfish pride needs to die. Now, this is kind of interesting. As I've been reading through the book of James, I've... I've come across this, and I mean, I know it's not something new. It's just something I hadn't seen before. But do you know, he spends a lot of time talking about our tongue. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go ahead and make this statement. You can put this in your bulletin. Pride shows itself in the tongue. Now, this is going to be tough. And as I'm sharing what I'm about to share, I'm asking you, To allow the Spirit of God to examine your heart. Your heart. Not the person you're sitting next to. And as I read this, I'm not examining your heart. I'm not not the judge anyway. I'm examining mine. God's exposing my heart in the same way that He's exposing yours. And so I want you to just look with me at at five. There's five chapters. and I'll just take a section from each chapter. The first is this. In verses 19 and 20 of chapter 1, James writes this, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So if you'll fill this out in your outline, be slow to speak and to become angry. Slow to speak and to become angry. This word, this word for anger is an interesting word. There's, there's two words for it in the scripture. One means, one, one word for anger means just an, you're, you're so mad, it's just an outburst, an automatic outburst. Some, there's been no buildup, something happens, you respond, and out it comes. Boom. No filter, here it comes. That's one word for anger. That's not the word used here. The word that used here, the word that's used here is another type of anger that oftentimes produces the just spewing of venom, but, but it means slow, steady, over time, this buildup of pressure, of anger, which leads to bitterness to the point that as, as this anger goes on over time, it could be a day, it could be 20 years, it could be all your life. And this anger just continues to grow and grow and grow. And it has something in mind. It has vengeance in mind. It has, I know what they did, I know what they said, 
and I will never forgive that, and I will get even. I'm just waiting for the time. And so, so it's this slow buildup of anger that turns to bitterness, and it's seething, and it's seething so much that it's affected your life for sure. It's consumed your thoughts, and all you're thinking about is the opportunity to get even and looking for that opportunity. That's the word that's used here. And he's saying, look, be slow to speak and slow to get angry. Why? Because, listen, this type of anger and that type of speaking doesn't produce the righteousness of God. That's what he says. Second thing. In chapter 2, we'll look at verses 12 and 13. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let me say this. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. When you've been given mercy by God, He is not giving you what you actually deserve. That's, that's mercy. The second thing that you can write down in your bulletin there is speak and act like you've been given mercy. It's interesting to me that we, when we go to God and ask Him to forgive us, how many of you expect Him to forgive you? Well, you guys who don't, man, I feel sorry for you. I expect him to. Why? Not because I'm such a good guy, but because he said he would. Okay? I'm just, I'm just taking him up on his promise. Okay? So I, it, when I come to him with my sin and I say, Father, forgive me. Forgive me for, for, for my sin. And you know, God, you know what's going on and all that stuff. I expect that he forgives me. But did you know there's a condition to forgiveness? Remember, when you go over into Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount, which ties in with the book of James, like I've said, in Matthew 5, he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive... Okay, so the merciful will be the ones who receive mercy. And then right after that, in chapter 6, he gives us the prayer that we all know, the Lord's Prayer. Go ahead, say it with me. Uh, you don't have to bow your head or close your eyes. You won't, you won't uh, hurt God's feelings. Our Father... Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Next line. And forgive us our, which means our sin. Forgive us our trespasses, our sin or our debt. Stop. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our debt. Forgive us our sin in the same way that we forgive others. Are you with me on this? No, you're not. Because, because this is painful. You guys who say, oh yeah, I do that all the time. Are you kidding me? God bless you if you do. You and Jesus are like this. You might even be the Jesus character on the shack. You know? Listen. He is saying to us that if you can't work out forgiveness this way, then forgiveness isn't going to be worked out this way. You want to know why you may be feeling so heavy inside? Could it be 
that you're holding something against someone here, when God has forgiven you a debt that you cannot pay, and He has promised that He will not send you to hell, but you will be with Him forever, He forgave you that debt against Him, your sin against Him, and yet someone has said something bad about you, or someone has done something against you, and all you can do is look for the opportunity to get even. Are you kidding me? But that's what he's saying here. If you want to receive mercy, then you need to speak and act like you have received it and you need to give it to others. Well, I'll give it to these people, I'll give it to because I like them. I don't like these people, God, so. And he, he doesn't distinct, make a distinction that way. Speak and act like you've been given mercy. Look in chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. And so in your bulletins, write it down. Stop praising and cursing man. Stop praising and cursing man. Cursing here means degrading, putting someone down. Whether it's doing that so that you can look better or doing it simply because this is your tongue taking out your vengeance on somebody else. Stop coming to Christ Community Church and standing here and going, God, you're great, you're wonderful, we love you, we praise you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, what a Savior, what a Savior. Hallelujah, hallelujah, what a Savior, what a Savior. And then turn right around and say, you, you stinking bomb. Stop praising God and cursing man. It shouldn't be that way. That's part of speaking and acting like we have been given mercy. Chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, which I just read, but I'm going to read it one more time. Brothers and sisters, don't slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister judges them, speaks against the law and judges it. And when you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Which basically he's saying, there's only one lawgiver and judge, and you're not it. Okay? It's him. So quit slandering. Don't slander or judge one another. You can write that down in your bulletins. Don't slander or judge one another. Slander is a picture word. Here's the picture. The picture is me taking you and saying, hey, come, come here, come here. And I bring you over here. And I, need, I, I want to get out of the light. I need to get in the dark corner. And so I get in this dark corner and I start telling you about someone spreading gossip, being malicious. So I'm going to tell you about someone when they're not here to defend themselves. Come here. You've got to hear this. You are not going to believe this. And here you go. <laughs> Hallelujah, what a Savior. But let me tell you about. 
What is that? That's us on the throne, plain judge. Because, look, I know your heart better than you know it. I know in here who's going to hell and who's not. Are you kidding me? I don't know you that way. You can fool me. We all fool each other just a little bit. How you doing? Oh, good. How's your day? Fine. And inside you're going, oh, don't ask. You don't want to hear this. You know? We all do that. We can fool each other. We can put on the look. But we can't fool the judge because he sees the heart and he's exposing it to us right now. And then in chapter 5, verse 9, he says this. Don't grumble against each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Don't grumble against each other. Are you getting the picture? Let me go back here. I had the reference in my Bible. Hebrews. I, I want to read this to you. I didn't read it last night, but I, I've got just a moment. Um, Matthew five seventeen to 20. That's not it. I must have wrote down the wrong reference. I'll, I'll simply paraphrase it to you. Oh, I'm sorry. It's Matthew 15. I want, I want to read it to you. Matthew 15, 17 to 20. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and, and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands doesn't defile a person. The things that defile a person are the things that come out, and they come out flying out through our tongues. Our tongues, our words expose our attitudes and our hearts. Look at this quote by Matthew Poole. And he, he says this, if you guys will put that on the screen. What a sorry creature, a man, a worm, that you should lift up yourself into God's place and make yourself a judge of someone not subject to you. Let me read that again. What a sorry creature, a man, a worm, that you should lift up yourself into God's place and make yourself a judge of someone not subject to you. And yet we all feel like we have the right to sit in that place and make judgments all the time on other people. You want to know why there's fighting and quarreling in the, in the church? It's because we're making judgments on each other. We have decided that we are going to sit on the throne and we're going to pass judgment on you and you and you and you. And if I can't work it out, if I don't think you've done enough to work off that sin that I think that you're committing or have committed, I'm out of here. Because I'm going to go find the perfect place. Because this place ain't perfect. 
And by the way, if you're a guest here this morning and you came looking for the perfect place, and right now you think Christ's community is that place, don't come back because you're going to be severely disappointed. We're a bunch of broken people who are in need of a Savior, including the guy standing on the platform right now. No, 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 no. Don't say amen to that. (laughs) Here's the good news. There's a remedy. Listen, if anything I have said this morning out of the book of James, where he has taken out our heart like a heart surgeon, he's cut away, and he's exposed the sin in your heart. If I've said anything where you're going, that's me. That's me. The good news is that the doctor is about ready to give you the remedy. He's not leaving you hanging. He's writing this to believers. And so believers, I want you to hear this. And for those of you who are not Christian, I want you to understand something. If any of these things that we've talked about so far, you're going, wow, I'm not even a Christian, and, 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 and I, I struggle with that stuff too. Um, I can tell you that there's hope in Jesus Christ. He will forgive your sin, but he won't let you alone. He'll keep working on you and in you, and he will expose those things that need taken care of. Verses 7 through 10. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Write these down in your bulletin. You need to know these. You need, the, your, you need the prescription. And you need to get it filled today. First, the remedy is humility. It's humility. We've been talking about your pride. Showing itself by you sitting on the throne and with your words just slamming everybody that you want to slam and judging everybody you want to judge. As if that's your position. You need to humble yourself, meaning get yourself off the throne. That's not your place. Second thing, you'll see under humility, submit your self-will to God's will. God, you know what my desire is. But my prayer is that your will would be done. I want this, God. But more than that, I want what you want. And I may not understand exactly what you want, but I trust that you're good. And I trust that you will provide. May your will be done, not mine. That's submitting yourself to God. Second thing, resist Satan's luring. Resist it. 
Because all the while, this all sounds, yes, that's so right, that's right. James, thank you so much for exposing this and for laying it out there. But let me tell you what, before you hit the doors, Satan's going to be going, come on, come on, come on. You need this. Try this. You want this. Oh, let me show you this. You can't live without this. Come on, come on. Resist Satan's luring. And you're going to spend the rest of your life in that resistance. Stand against it. Third thing, recognize that you are unclean. Recognize it. Stop looking at yourself as if you are so holy. Because you by yourself are not. It is only because of the presence of the Holy Spirit within us that we have any right to claim God as our Father. And so, so recognize that this sin, this disease, this spiritual adultery that, that's been pointed out here in James 4, recognize that you're on the inside. If that's you, man, I'm, I'm unclean. I mean, I'm following Christ, but wow, have I not given attention to that closet. I've just let it pile up the junk. So recognize you're unclean. Next thing, clean up the inside. Clean up the inside where he says, purify your heart. And you cannot do that by making some sort of New Year's resolution that, okay, from now on, I'm not ever going to judge anybody. I'm not ever going to speak evil about anybody. I'm not going to gossip. I'm not going to slander. I'm not going to let myself get angry. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Well, yeah, you will. Because this is a work of the Spirit of God in your life. And so, God, I submit to you, and I'm asking that you would accomplish your will in me. And I am sorry, God, I am sorry for the sin that I allow to harbor in me. And I act like it's not there, but you know it's there. So, God, I surrender to you. And I ask you to take this diseased, adultery-ridden heart and scrub it clean with the blood of Jesus Christ. Next thing, understand the depth of your sin. That's where he's saying grieve, mourn, and wail. Understand that your sin is what put Jesus on the cross. And my sin is what put Jesus on the cross. That's why he went there. Understand it. And when you come to understand that, it should disturb your soul regarding your sin. And it should drive you to do one thing. And that's the last thing here. It should drive you to humble yourself. It should drive you to your knees. And you just say, God, I can't do this. I'm sorry for my sin. And I'm begging for your forgiveness. And I'm begging for your Holy Spirit. To take first place in my life. Do what it takes, God, to push me off the throne. So that you can sit alone as the Lord of my life. Please, God, please, I humble myself to you. And he closes in verse 17 of chapter 4. And he says this. If anyone then knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, 
it's sin for them. And that line alone makes me ask this one question. What is that? What's the good I'm supposed to do? The good you're supposed to do is the remedy. Humble yourself. You know you're supposed to. Now do it. And then I'll close with this. But we want to sing a song together in just a second. I want to go back to this question. I'm not going to go into big detail about this. I just want to, I, I can do that a little later. But I just want to hit this. God is jealous, and if jealousy is a sin, how can this be? My, and I just have two quick responses about this. In Scripture, when it comes to, let's leave jealousy for a second and use the word anger. When it comes to anger, the Scripture talks about two kinds of anger, one being righteous anger and one being sinful anger. We talked about the sinful anger today. The other being righteous anger, God's wrath, God's anger towards sin. Okay? Now, righteous jealousy as opposed to sinful jealousy. Sinful jealousy is me wanting to get even. You have done something that has stirred up this this in my heart where I'm, I'm going to do what I've got to do to get even. Righteous jealousy is you have done something that has stirred up the passions in my heart and I'm going to do whatever it takes to make it right. And so when you and I sinned against God. He is so jealous for his creation that he didn't, you have stirred up the passions in my heart that I'm going to come and I'm going to get even with you all. No. You have stirred up the passions in my heart. I'm going to come and I'm going to do whatever has to be done in order for us to be made right again. I'm going to give myself on the cross For your sin, I am, instead of getting even, I'm going to pay the debt that you actually owe. I'm going to pay it so that we can be right again. And that's how I would respond to the difference between righteous jealousy and sinful jealousy. And it may not handle all of that question, but it's enough for now. And I want you to see this quote by J.I. Packer where he writes this. Can you put that on the screen for us? When an exclusive covenant relationship is dishonored, righteous jealousy is the passionate zeal that fights to restore that holy union. Christ Community Church, this is what I want you to know. I'm going to sit down at the piano here, and I'm going to play a song out of Psalm 24, which talks about give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. And this is an opportunity for you right here. The prescription's been written. You know the remedy. And right here, right now, I invite you to humble yourself to God. You can get on your knees. You can sit in your seat. You can come up here in the front and get on your knees. And you'll be left alone. You just come and you, or you kneel. You do whatever you need to do. And you deal with this exposed, diseased heart 
before God. Because truth of the matter is, we don't need a, we don't need a, a uh, fixed heart. We need a new heart. That's what we need. And if you are not a Christian, Ralph Clay and, and Andrew are going to be standing up here in the front on the sides. If you want to pray with someone and talk to them about becoming a Christian today, I want you to stop by and pray with them. So you just sit right there. You kneel. You do whatever you need to do. But deal with this as we do this song together. Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts, let us not lift our souls to another, give us clean hands, give us pure hearts, let us not lift our souls to community as you go go living like you have a new heart the Holy Spirit guiding your life 
God bless you. Have a great week. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.